Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Good to have you here. This is Podcast 334. Kurt Mortensen here. This is Maximize Your Influence. As we discover why 3% are making 97% of the money, or that person got the promotion and you didn't, or you met that person that wasn't that sharp and they're making 10 times more money than you're making, what do they have that you don't have? Well, as Napoleon Hill called it, the author of Think and Grow Rich, who interviewed millionaires, monitored millionaires, says persuasion's a magic ingredient. In fact, if you haven't read Think and Grow Rich, you should. It's the mindset, the traits of millionaires. But if you notice... All the books Napoleon Hill wrote after he wrote that best-selling book, Persuasion, Influence, Public Speaking, all the soft skills we're talking about here on the show on Maximize Your Influence. Because everything you want in life's on the other side of persuasion. You know that. That's why you're here. So, hey, welcome. Tell your family, friends, and enemies about the podcast. We can be found at iTunes, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, or just go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com. There you can find links to Influence University, where you can find the archives of the show for free. And there's also free access to Influence University and, of course, the advanced course. If you want to take your free Persuasion IQ assessment, that's also found at MaximizeYourInfluence.com and contact me there or just Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Housekeeping out of the way. Let's get into it. Hope you're doing well. Stay in healthy. I'm doing more and more webinars. It was crazy the other day. I did an eight-hour webinar. Now, there were breaks in between, but I noticed, and this is crazy, and let me know if you've had the same experience, that teaching an eight-hour webinar takes two, three times more energy than an actual live, face-to-face, standing-up seminar. It makes no sense to me. I have no idea. Here I am in my home doing a webinar in my sweat, sitting in a lazy boy, (laughs) and I'm saying it's taking more energy. I'm not getting it, but I've been doing it more and more, and it seems like either my energy's lower or it takes more energy. So, hey, if you know the answer to that, let me know. Hope you're doing well. It's achieving your goals, mastering these tools. Let's get into it and talk about the geeky scholarly article. This one comes from Duke University, Aaron Kay, in the journal Personality and Social Psychology. This one's crazy weird that passion which is a key element of the laws of charisma, they talk about how passion can backfire on you. What? Too much passion? Now, at first of all, my goal is this hype. And I agree. When I was researching passion and purpose, there's that hype piece, that fake passion, that fake energy, the salesperson pretending they're all excited about it or they're not, that fake energy. I can see that backfiring on you. But this is what they found. If someone is passionate about what they do, we see it as more legitimate to exploit them. They found that people consider more legitimate to make passionate employees leave family to work on the weekend, work unpaid, and handle unrelated tasks that were not in the job description. And this was consistent over eight studies with over 2,400 participants. And they looked at students and managers and random people online and the different kind of jobs they had. In one study... Participants who read about an artist who was passionate about what they did 
felt it was more legitimate for the boss to exploit the artist than the artist that wasn't passionate. And it was okay to ask them to go beyond their job description, to ask an artist or someone else to leave a day at the park with the family and go clean the office bathroom. In another study, participants rated it more legitimate to exploit workers in jobs more traditionally associated with passion, such as an artist or social worker, than in jobs not generally seen as a labor of love, like a store clerk or a bill collector. Then the researchers found this tendency to exploit passion arises from two beliefs. That work is its own reward, and that the employee would have volunteered anyway. They call this compensation justification. Basically, when we're confronted with injustice, rather than fix it, sometimes our minds tend to compensate instead. We rationalize the situation in ways that seem fair and assume the victims of injustice must benefit in some way. I mean, why are they there? Why else would they do it? They could quit. For example, the study found that when people are faced with disparities between, for example, the wealthy and the poor, people can downplay injustice by telling themselves, well, the wealthy, they're not happy. They have their own set of problems. And making less money, I'll be happier and my life will be simpler. So they take that case and look at employees that are getting extra jobs, working harder for no extra pay, and then asking them to do demeaning work that's outside their job description. They believe this is fair because they're passionate and they would do it for free. Crazy weird stuff, but that's the study. Be careful of your passion. People might exploit you. But hey, if your persuasion, your influence, you're selling, you need to have that passion, you have any influence. So you need the passion with your prospects and your clients and your customers. I guess just be aware of your bosses and your coworkers. When you're really passionate about what you're doing, they might exploit you. And that brings us to the persuasion blunder of the week. Homer. Don't, don't, don't. This is what I call the persuasion pitfall. We're going to be talking about this today. We've seen it in a variety of situations where People just don't know they're high lactose. That's what we use for cheesy around here, that they pushed a little too hard. For example, I was talking to someone, went to a local furniture store, and they didn't buy it. It's one of the bigger stores. They have the best variety. But what happened is they got there, and the salesperson was a little too pushy, a little too salesy, hard on the clothes. And what did the person do? Oh, hey, well, I'm looking right now. I'll come back later. Give me your card. And they had no intention of coming back. But here's the pitfall. That salesperson does not know they pushed a little too hard. The store doesn't know. The sales manager doesn't know. Nobody knows. That's the pitfall. We've all done it at car dealerships. That pushing too hard. And you're like, oh, I'm just looking. It happens at a clothing store. When people push a little too hard, that person doesn't know they're using outdated techniques. And why do they still use them? Because they work sometimes, 3% of the times with a 50% remorse rate. And the other part is they just don't know. No one's ever told them. They were taught the old style 20 years ago closing techniques and they're still using them because trainers are still teaching them, but it does not work. In fact, there's a Niagara Falls with my daughter and we went into this store. It was kind of a store restaurant thing and they were pushing this and wanting to take pictures and eating right now. And I go, I'll come back later. I've got to see the falls first. It was a lie, but it was so cheesy. It was just easier. You know, I could have said, yeah, you know, you're lame. We didn't like you. This technique failed. You don't close very well. It's just easier. I'm just looking. I'll come back later. I need to think about it. I need to talk to my partner. That's why 67% of the times, those objections are lies. So if people aren't coming back, you're getting those objections quite a bit. 
We need to talk about this persuasion pitfall and why you're causing all this resistance and all this rejection in your life. This is costing you money. If you could do the math on all the people that said no, or said yes and you never heard from them again, or said they'd be back and you didn't see them, or they're thinking about it and they fall off the radar, you probably have issues here. So one of the fun things that I get to do is I get to interview people if they've lied to you. After you've put them through this persuasion pitfall, let me give you things as I'm thinking about to see what things you can fix so you can get more yeses, more persuasion, more income in your life. One of the first ones, we talk about this quite a bit here on the podcast, is that do you assume they trust you? They don't trust you. You see, trust is an all-time low. You know, even though you're good, trustworthy people and you deserve their trust and you have their best interests in mind, you're trying to solve their problem and you're better than the competition, I agree with you, I'm with you on that, but you can't assume they trust you. Even though you're a good, trustworthy person, you have to earn their trust. Don't assume you have the credibility, you have the trust that you need to do that. That's a big reason people run. So let me quickly throw some at you and pick one that, yeah, it could be that. One is you tend to argue with your prospect to prove that you're right, to prove that they're wrong. They don't know what they need. You know exactly what they need. Anytime you do that, you push them in a corner, you win that argument, you're going to get that resistance. That's a persuasion pitfall, and they are going to run. Being too persistent. Hey, I love persistence, but there's a fine line between persistence and being a pain in the butt. But would you push a little too hard, back them in the corner, They don't feel like they have a choice. That could cause resistance or rejection. We talked about passion. That's a big one. Lack of passion or lack of enthusiasm. You really don't care about the product, the service, them. You're not being very proactive. Causes resistance and rejection. And the opposite of that one is just a negative attitude. Condescending. You're sucking the life out of people. You just don't care. You've got a frown on your face. You don't like working there. Or they sense that. Definite resistance. Here's an interesting one. You're too friendly, getting too friendly too fast. That is a big complaint to where the gushy chit chat. Hey, how are you doing? Some people do not like that. Sometimes it comes across as fake, especially when we start talking about things in their office that everybody else has talked about. That will backfire on you every time. Here's an interesting one being too one sided, not knowing your competition, claiming your product or service is perfect. Not knowing the strengths and weaknesses of your product and your competitor's products. It's all one-sided, and it feels that way. That will cause people to run. Here's a big one. No diagnosis. Meaning you didn't start where they wanted to start with this persuasion conversation. The doctor just said, yep, you're sick. Here's your prescription with no questions. Didn't let you talk. Didn't listen. That's no diagnosis. You you just launch right into what they need and how it's going to benefit them without really finding what they need. Now, you could be 100% correct, and many times you are, but they still need those questions. They need you to listen. Oh, and of course, there's the old vomiting. Oh, here are the 27 reasons, the 47 reasons. Being all logical with your vomit, hoping something sticks, throwing those persuasion darts. That's a huge challenge. And if you have a challenge with that, check out the podcast in the archives on persuasion darts, because just throwing them does not mean they're going to stick. And when you throw 20 of them, Even if they do stick, it repels people. Here's one you're probably not even aware you're doing this is being condescending. You're like, I'm not condescending. And I'm going to say, are you sure? The way you listen 
Do you maintain eye contact? Do you pause before you reply? Do you cut them off in the middle of a sentence? All point to being condescending or arrogant, even though you don't mean it. Be careful there. Definitely causes resistance. When they feel you're exaggerating or stretching the truth a little bit, whether you are or not, can cause them to run. They feel like you're manipulating them and asking the questions and leading them down the path where they're getting no input causes rejection. Here's an interesting one. Then they sense desperation. You have to make this sale. You've got to get this negotiation done. You have to get the yes today. When they sense that you're desperate, it has to be done. Man, they will resist you and they will run. Another one that causes rejection and resistance. You prejudge them. They're the type of person that would, or they're the type of person that wouldn't, or even worse, especially when it's a couple people, you assume who the decision maker is and you get it wrong, or they don't have any money, or they're not that successful. That sucks the life out of you and your presentation. They sense it. They're going to run. I'm just going to say, you need to give everyone at least 100%, 110%, because you never really know, because when you prejudge, you are wrong most of the time. You want to know another thing your prospects are complaining about? Lack of preparation. You didn't do your homework about them, their company, their department, their issues. You didn't review last time you talked. You didn't take any notes. You're not ready to roll. You might not even know enough about your product or service. That lack of preparation, just showing up, being spontaneous. Hey, there's a time and place for spontaneity, but not in this situation. Lack of preparation. They are going to rebel and not do business with you. Or, of course, you want definite resistance? Make excuses. It's not your fault. Blame, point fingers. Somebody else in your company that didn't do it. Don't demean people in your company, in your organization, when you're trying to influence someone to do business with your organization. Excuses why you didn't get the email in time or the information they asked for in time. And that's a whole other complaint. You didn't do what you said you were going to do. So you're making excuses. You're not doing what you promised. That's going to cause you're never going to be able to talk to them or see them again. Here's another one, being insincere. And that could be the same category as not being very genuine, authentic. You're just not there. You're just not coming across as a person that really cares. You're not being sincere. People want to know that you care. And of course, I've alluded to any type of lie or deception. I mentioned exaggeration. When they sense out, again, whether it's true or not, that's going to cause rejection resistance. You have to be careful. Everything you say, you have to make sure it's believable. We always tell the truth. That's a given. We don't have to even think about that. But sometimes the truth is not believable, especially in the world of statistics, maybe some of the studies, maybe some of the studies I reveal. Sometimes like, oh, wait a minute, I don't know. Even though it's the truth, sometimes the way out there, if they don't have a lot of experience, they might just run. And final one, use an old school, tired, cheesy persuasion closing tactics. They were outdated 20 years ago, and you're still using them. For example, feel felt found. I understand how you feel. Many others have felt that way. We have found, hey, the technique is sound in a lot of ways, but they've heard that feel felt found. Maybe change the words a little bit. Do it in a little bit different way. We just use these same tired phrases over and over again, these old tired closes. Be careful. Get some feedback. Find someone that said no that will be honest with you to find out what really happened. Or have a top producer in your industry, in your company, monitor you or listen to a recording of you or send it to me so we can give you a little coaching to get you to the next level because you don't know what you don't know. Some of the things you're doing well are rotten. 
And some of the things you think you need to work on, you're probably doing better than you think. You can't coach yourself. It's very difficult to do that. Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player ever. That's open for debate. I know. Send me an email. But regardless, needed a coach. Now, I spent all this time talking about the negative side and the mistakes and the blunders, the things we do wrong. But let's look at the flip side. Let's talk to the people that you're trying to sell, you're trying to persuade. Those persuadees, what do the persuadees say about the persuaders? What do they like? What do they love about the people that are persuading them? That's important to know, too, because we can fix our mistakes and blunders once we know that we're doing them. But let's swap it out for something that's positive, and let's quit putting bricks in the brick wall of resistance. First one, he kept his promises. Promises made during the persuasion process are fulfilled. Persuaders are honest and realistic in what they promise. They don't build false hope or expectations. They underpromise and overdeliver, not the other way around. Two, she's really dependable. Successful persuaders proactively give their audience the attention they deserve, doing everything in their power to resolve any problem or concern. They are reliable. Nothing stops them from getting the job done or getting a callback. Next one, they're clearly well-trained. Successful persuaders know the ins and outs of their product, including its strengths and weaknesses, and how it stacks up against the competition. A great persuader is always an expert on the product, service, or idea they are handling. Here's another one. They are very sincere and genuine. Great persuaders don't act like they're just out for hefty commission. They are sincerely interested in the audience and have their best interests in mind. Here's one, kind of a no-brainer. I consider them a friend. Taking the time to build rapport pays off. Personable, likable, caring, and friendly persuaders make the grade. They know that people buy from people they like. Here's an interesting one. They never argue with us. Great salespeople, great persuaders aren't so bent on making the point that they have to argue. They're not so consumed with their own need to be right, and they don't waste their time demonstrating that their prospect is wrong, misinformed, or uneducated. That never persuades anybody. That repels them. Next one. They provide solutions at work. Helping an audience visualize their success brings the persuader and audience together to illustrate how the product or service will get them there, where they need to go. Problem solved. How are you doing on this one? They take 100% responsibility. No matter what happens, a great persuader accepts full responsibility for the results. When challenges present themselves, they deal with those challenges rather than making excuses. Nothing's worse than the finger pointing or the blame game. We've talked about this, being a product of the product, They are really behind their products. Great salespeople, great persuaders love what they offer. They know they cannot get someone to believe in their product more than they do. How are you doing on this one? They're honest. It's always clear where great persuader stands. They're always honest with themselves and with others. From this position of strength, they're the audience's friend, advisor, and advocate. Now, I'm assuming you're great people, you're honest. But sometimes even when you're honest, you might not have come across that way with your nonverbal gestures, your tone of voice, or even if you say something that's truthful but not believable. Now, this last one, and this came up when I was doing research for Laws of Charisma, is that they're really entertaining. And this is what we can all work on. Our encounters are always fun and interesting. Great persuaders, great salespeople are fun and enjoyable to talk to. They help others feel good about themselves. They're optimistic. They put a smile on their faces. They're full of charisma and love to be around people and bring light to the room. And their presentations are lively, engaging, and informative. So that's the positive side. So let's get past some of those mistakes, those blunders, those bricks in the brick wall of resistance. 
and add some of these positive pieces to increase your ability to persuade, motivate, influence, and negotiate. So that wraps up episode 334. Remember, everything you need is at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Even pick up the new edition of my book, Maximum Influence. And if this is an area you know you need to work on, running a special on my audio series, Psychology of Objections, that also can be found at Maximize Your Influence. So you see the importance of this. This will change every aspect of your life. Master this skill. Become more influential. Understand the human brain. And as you know, go out and persuade with power. (laughs) 